Hello and welcome. You're listening to Epic Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. My name is Joshua. And I'm Grayson. And this episode is entitled Leading with Empathy, the Critical Role of a Trauma-Informed Approach to Emergency Management. In this episode, we will be discussing something that is often in short supply during disaster, and that is empathy. How can we build awareness and influence action through listening and building a common understanding? Why is this even important during a crisis? To this end, we'll be speaking with Vanessa Howard about a trauma-informed approach to emergency management and discussing why this might just be a perfect tool for EP Week. All this and more on this episode of Epic Podcast, Current, Relevant, Canadian. Understanding and engaging with the communities that we serve is essential to emergency management. But what does that actually mean and how do you do it? I think we've all encountered emergency plans that don't seem to have any basis in reality, policies that are abandoned because of either ineffective or downright harmful. And as Cortinelli puts it, a process without a people. To move past this, one of the most important things you can do is examine your basic assumptions. Now, we've discussed this before more generally on the show in episodes like The Dragons of Inaction or in our review of the gender-based analysis tool for programs and planning, but our guest today is going to talk about a really powerful tool that has been used for a long time in health, but I believe is very applicable to emergency management in general. So without any further ado, I give you an interview with Vanessa Howard recorded almost a year ago today. Hello, my name is Vanessa Howard. I work within the emergency management team at Callion. And prior to this, I was a paramedic, a clinical incident stress management team member, and a clinical educator with BC Ambulance Service. Uh, while I was doing that, I was taking my degree in emergency and security management, and then transitioned over into emergency management. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us today for this epic interview. We're here today to talk about trauma-informed care. Uh, What is trauma-informed care and how can it be applied to emergency management? Uh, Trauma-informed care, trauma-informed approach is a holistic approach. It includes education about the prevalence and the effects of trauma, education on signs and symptoms of stress responses, and then the integration of this understanding into the policies, procedures, and practices throughout an organization. The core principles are acknowledgement, safety, trust, control, esteem, and they're applied to everyone, regardless of whether we know there's a trauma history or not. So an important part of trauma-informed approach is that It requires you to really critically review all of your assumptions and then consider all of your organizational processes from the perspective of someone with an untreated trauma. This helps reduce barriers, build feelings of trust and safety, and it's been successfully implemented in healthcare, in schools, in corrections, and other sectors that the clients have a high probability of either violence or trauma in their history. So this sounds like a very individualized approach. How can it be applied to kind of the greater emergency management realm? I see it being most useful in risk communication and community engagement. Um, We already have a really strong understanding that risk communication and community engagement is critically important to emergency management. Mm. We understand that disaster risk reduction activities are influenced by someone's understanding of risk, engagement, and 
activities need to be targeted, they need to be relevant to the audience, and emergency managers have been developing strategies to achieve this because we know that it's necessary. However, they're still often developed from the perspective of the emergency manager instead of from the recipient. And that makes sense. You know, we've spent years working in or studying this field, we've got an understanding of how risk might impact a community or how to mitigate it, but we don't have a full picture of those factors that might impact an ability, a, the community's ability or their willingness to engage with us or to perform mitigative actions. And that leaves us in this situation where we're trying to influence risk without all the benefits that a trauma-informed approach gives us. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I've seen a lot of plans and emergency managers fall into the trap of creating programs for, quote unquote, the ideal citizen, someone who is already informed, who already understands what they, they need to do. Um, and that's clearly not the case. And one of the biggest fail points of uh, a lot of emergency management initiatives are they don't have a clear understanding of who the target is. So how can this help uh, with that hurdle? Well, trauma, it, it impacts people across all socioeconomic segments of the Canadian population. And trauma can fundamentally alter those people's interactions with institutions, with their communities, with their family, and with their own sense of self. So we know that those past traumas might influence the ability of a person to receive information, to engage with officials, comply with emergency management activities, and until we're using this kind of subject um, approach in a sector, the people in positions of influence don't necessarily even understand those unintentional barriers that they're creating. So by understanding how prolific trauma is, how trauma can come from a single event or prolonged exposure to violence or neglect or uh, more sort of cultural, violence, historical violence, and how it erodes those important areas of kind of the feeling of self, the feeling of safety, the feeling of control and esteem, we're really missing a big piece. And the trauma-informed approach intentionally builds back that feeling of trust, that feeling of control, that feeling of esteem and value. And that's where I see it has a lot of value for us. One of the best things about it is the intent behind it is that it applies to everyone broadly, not just someone who may or may not have trauma history. So where I see it being most helpful is I see it helping us um, engage, helping us listen, and helping us share data. In particular, to achieve that whole of community engagement, we want to be effective in our engagement. So a trauma-informed approach can help us increase that engagement across all the populations by looking at our processes and trying to understand them from the perspective of, are there any barriers here? Am I making assumptions that are going to reduce the ability of someone to engage with me? So once we've kind of broken down those systemic barriers, we can start listening. And the staff training incorporated with a trauma-informed approach helps us, first of all, acknowledge what kinds of biases we might have, which helps us and our staff really listen with the intent to truly understand. 
that can help us recognize existing barriers and that lets us work collaboratively with people to help find effective solutions. And once we've got those first two critical components taken care of, then it lets us be trusted. If people are gonna act on the information, the risk information we provide them, they have to trust us as a source. So that trauma-informed approach can help us build that trust because we are truly listening with an intent to understand them and understand their perspective instead of a top-down approach of telling them what they need to do. Instead, we're beginning by that listening. And with that listening with the intent to understand barriers, we're in a much better position to collaborate with people so we can find real solutions that work for them and we come across as a trusted resource and hopefully improve our engagement capabilities. Okay, maybe I need some examples to, to put this into practice. Walk me through where this has been useful or where maybe where you see it being most useful. I had an example actually where I met a woman, her name was Charlie, um, not her real name, and this was back when I was still a paramedic. And she had fallen, she had suffered a fracture. On the way to the hospital, she was describing to me the events that she experienced in January 2018. She was in Port Alberni and the community had a tsunami alert that happened. Uh, so about three o'clock in the morning, she was awoken by the tsunami alerting system and she was in the evacuation area. She was also a domestic violence survivor and was in a location that she was hidden from her abuser. And she was terrified because she was raised in Port Alberni. She knew the devastating impacts of a tsunami. That city has history with a tsunami impact that devastated that community in the 60s. And she knew she needed to leave, but she was terrified that leaving would place her into a position where she could potentially meet up with her abuser who she was hiding from. So luckily for her, and many other people in Port Alberni, the tsunami alert was lifted, people were able to return to their homes, so she wasn't um, required to go to an evacuation center or evacuate from her area. However, months later, she was still clearly visibly upset in the retelling of this story, and it just helped me understand how important our messaging is to enable people much like Charlie, find a safe solution that meets their needs. Because as an emergency manager, I could have very easily um, found her someone non-compliant, not willing to evacuate. And if I don't approach that non-compliance with an assumption that she is non-compliant for a very good reason, whether she is choosing to disclose it to me or not, I am potentially increasing that barrier to engagement. And then to take it one step further as an emergency manager and community outreach, I can engage with my community to understand what are the potential barriers to you evacuating. If there was an evacuation, what would prevent you from feeling safe or feeling able to evacuate? And when I phrase my questions like that, 
it starts opening those doors for me to be able to better understand what the potential barriers are in my community for any kind of group. So it wouldn't necessarily need to be an individual like Charlie, but I can approach entire groups that way. And simply, instead of saying, this is where we're going to evacuate to, begin by saying, if we need to evacuate, what are the things you would require to be safe? As a, as a group, as an organization that you represent. And I think that's the big starting point for us. What are some other examples of where maybe uh, this trauma-informed approach wasn't used and had some, some poor outcomes? Well, unfortunately, we have a lot of examples mm. of that. Um, we've got a growing body of knowledge around the social vulnerabilities to disasters and the importance of communication in proactive responses. Um, certainly one example from a British Columbian perspective that comes to my mind is unfortunately during the wildfires, there were some communities that did not want to evacuate and different response agencies felt that the most appropriate way to keep the community safe was to say, well, at least we can, we can keep the children safe, we can evacuate and require the children to be evacuated. Now, Clearly that was addressed um, very promptly, but those are the kinds of things that unfortunately erode trust. And we do understand the importance, but under stress, when we don't have it built in and embedded into our processes, we put a large burden on the individuals who are trying to address these kinds of things in the face of an agitated or an upset person, where a trauma-informed approach helps prevent that because it builds it up ahead of time. So it doesn't place you as the individual in the position of having to sort this out right in the moment. It's a system built to prevent those instances from even occurring and helps provide training proactively to those people who may be in those situations to help them better understand stress responses, recognize stress responses, and better understand the impacts of trauma. Like I said, we don't need to understand what the trauma is. We need to begin with an assumption that the, the behavior that we're faced with is an adaptation to a trauma response that they have had in the past, and that's impacting our ability to move forward. So that's, we kind of reference that as reframing where we take behaviors where perhaps we would consider them to be argumentative or um, kind of non-compliant and we instead look at them from the perspective of this is a person who's made an adaptation to a trauma that they've experienced in the past and they're simply doing the best they can with what they have in front of them in the moment. So where would one start in applying uh, applying this to their practice or maybe getting some training or understanding how it would fit with their existing procedures? I did quite a bit of looking into um, trauma-informed approach for emergency management. And what I found is we have some understanding of the need for trauma-informed approach in the psychosocial supports of managing people who have been displaced by disasters or um, war, that sort of thing. However, we don't have a lot of information when it comes to applying a trauma-informed approach to our emergency management practice policies and procedures. 
That being said, there's a lot of information out there for other sectors. The one that I found most helpful and useful when I was doing my research was the clinic um, community trauma-informed toolkit. And it's designed to help um, predominantly non-emergent healthcare services apply a trauma-informed approach in their practice. But it starts with educating the staff and anyone who would be participating or interacting with the public about what trauma is, how it impacts people, what kinds of effects it has. And then you move into training of what are the stress responses and how do we recognize them and why, do, why are they impactful and important. And then we look a little bit further into what are biases that we might hold so we can be upfront and, and respond to prevent us from acting on those biases. Following that, we then review all of our processes and we look at them very critically from the perspective of a person who may have had trauma in their past and ensure that we don't have assumptions about behaviors, that we don't have colonial assumptions, all of those things that we know are potential barriers um, so that when we finally get to the interaction with the public, there are no additional barriers that we've created systemically. So all we have to do is deal with that individual interaction. And we've already set up the training to make that as successful as possible. Awesome. So there's a ton of work that can be done in, in preparedness and engaging with the community. I'm wondering if this can be leveraged into some more real-time thinking tools or uh, I wonder if we could apply it to implementing a public health order since we're right in the middle of, uh, of COVID right now. How could we apply a trauma-informed approach to, let's say, enforcement of, of gathering size or something like that? What sort of considerations would you bring to the table? If people are gathering, they're gathering because they either don't understand the need or they have a need to gather that exceeds their perception of the risk. So I suppose I would, again, I would begin by trying to understand why there's the gathering and not assume in my language of the risk communication that I'm sending out that the people who are gathering are gathering because they're being willfully ignorant of the, um, the public health order. So I think I would begin with that assumption that there may be really true valid reasons for people to be gathering and understand what they are. So then we can set up um, communication to support them still meeting their needs, but also being safe in the face of COVID-19. So if you are at, you know, if you're gathering because of a, a community funeral, there may be real reasons why the people who are choosing to gather feel that that's really important and critically important to their kind of cultural framework. So instead of assuming they're just being willful, I would look at it from the understanding the why. Just to bring this scenario a little bit forward, you can imagine what sort of damage might be done if you don't take that approach and crack down with enforcement or public shaming or whatever other tools might be there for the short-term fix, but would damage that relationship long-term. And I think it is actually a really good example and maybe a tool that everyone needs to 
incorporate into their own practice right now is understanding where this is is coming from uh, as we do see infractions of public health orders or lashing out of of people who are just fed up with it all uh, understanding first and and acting second and there are a lot of people with very serious fears associated with um, both COVID-19 and um, you know all of the other stressors that we're seeing being brought to light with the the news of 2020 and all of the impacts we've seen across the globe and it will be kind of taken within the context of each individual's capacity for managing those stresses so i may not have the current information because i had to make a choice between keeping my rent going or my internet going so my internet is gone and that's the primary way people are getting med- are their education and information. So I just might not know the current orders. All of those kinds of things are possible. And when we begin by assuming that the person is not being willfully ignorant of it, it allows us to enter it in with a, a more compassionate understanding perspective. Yeah, I really like that. And it's interesting to think that trauma might be the one thing that links us all together. And using that as a leverage point to understanding and empathizing and creating that common common ground is a really interesting concept. Where can people go to find out more? The Trauma-Informed Toolkit would be probably my primary location I would go to. But any search of a trauma-informed approach, Trauma-Informed Toolkit will support you as best as possible. I personally have written a few blog posts on it, and I'm looking forward to researching it a little bit further. But as of now, it's mostly in the health and housing sector. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us for this epic interview. And thank you so much for the work that you continue to do to make us all a bit more empathetic in our approach to emergency management. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. It was fun. All right. So great interview. Let's just review a few of those key principles. First, acknowledgement, safety, trust, control, and esteem. One of the things that was most impactful about this conversation is the concept that trauma brings us together. It truly is the core unifying experience of humanity. And uh, I think not to get too philosophical, but if you if you look at uh, at history, it's it's quite clear that every human that's walked on this planet and every human that will walk on this planet, unfortunately, uh, at some point is unified by certain shared traumatic experiences. And I think acknowledging that bond is important and uh, that can help us break down some of the unseen barriers that exist in our systems that we might not be aware of. And as emergency managers, uh, I think it's our duty to try and uh, be thoughtful about those sort of things. Yeah, and that idea of listening to understand, and, and she mentioned this a few times, not just understand the issue, but the context as well. This has helped me personally, not just understand the communities that I engage with, but the people I work with during disaster. You know, one of the things we always talk about as being a barrier during response is ego. But sometimes I think this might be an assumption on its own worth challenging. You know, why are people acting this way? What fear or negative experience might be behind their non-collaborative actions? Empathy first and using little tools like asking, are you okay? You know, where is this coming from? Can be a good way to get past organizational positional barriers uh, as well and start a conversation not between two responders or two opposite sides of the coin or emergency manager and victim, but 
between two human beings during time of crisis. You know, it's a very hard thing to do, but in my experience, very effective and can sometimes turn adversarial encounters into a productive and lifelong relationship, if not friendship. We can all probably think of some examples uh, in uh, our professional and personal lives that that echo that sentiment. So uh, maybe to our listeners, take a moment, uh, pause now and uh, and reflect. Absolutely. And if you need a tool to do that, well, there are a ton of trauma-informed toolkits out there. But one that I thought was quite good uh, comes from Manitoba and was developed with support from the government of Manitoba, Department of Health, Living and, uh, and Health Canada's First Nations and Inuit Health Branch. Uh, we'll put the link in our show notes, but I did just want to share a quote from the toolkit that I think sums up this issue perfectly and that is everyone has a right to a future that is not dictated by the past so please this emergency preparedness week challenge your assumptions dig beneath the surface and see what lessons you can apply from a trauma-informed approach and that's all for this episode of epic podcast a big thanks to vanessa howard for sharing her time and expertise with us on the topic of applying a trauma-informed approach to em as a quick reminder, this EP week, we'll be doing a podcast every day. So stay tuned uh, and please do like, share and join the conversation throughout the week. Just before we go, I do want to mention our sponsors. This episode is brought to you in part by ATB. With ATB Cares, giving is easy. Donate through ATB Cares and ATB will match 20% of every dollar donated to eligible Alberta charities, maximizing the impact of your donation. Visit atbcares.com to choose your cause and donate today. This episode is also brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta. Offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you choose Park Power, you're choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. You've been listening to an Epic Podcast production, a proud partner of the International Association of Emergency Managers Canada and a member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. As always, Epic Podcasts are designed as a supplementary educational tool for the EM professional on the go. The views and opinions explored during this podcast do not necessarily represent the agencies or organizations that we or our guests may belong to. For more information about the show or the people on it, visit our website at epicpodcast.ca or follow us on Twitter at username Epic Podcast. Stay tuned for more on the next episode of Epic Podcast, current, relevant, Canadian. <laughs>